down through history and right up to this very time, people all over the world have liked to, enjoyed wearing hats or various kinds of headgear. Now, hats or headgear have multiple purposes. Some headgear or hats are worn for protection. Protection, perhaps, from the elements, uh, protection in battle, or even protection in sport. So I've got a couple pictures up here tonight for you just to kind of just get the juices flowing here. So we have a, kind of a military headgear. This is kind of a, kind of a modern uh, army. I don't know. I Googled army helmet, okay? That's the newest one, I guess. And it's supposed to be designed to protect the head and all that. And then, so you got that type of headgear. Then you have, go to the next one. Then you have this kind of headgear, right? You know, I had to put the Patriots because they're just the team of, they're the team of now, right? And no, I'm getting thumbs down from the back. And so, uh, all right. And look, this guy from New Hampshire is even giving a thumbs down. How can that be? That doesn't even make sense, does it? I mean, we need to talk of the logic of it now. Hats and other forms of headgear also have been a form of fashion. Hats have also been worn to demonstrate an allegiance to a club or an athletic team or an affinity for a particular brand, a branding. And so I've got a couple more pictures. Go to the next one. Yeah, this is, uh, this is just that idea of kind of like that hat that is just that branding. And uh, just remember that gold LV when we get into tonight's text. And then um, go to the next one. And then you have uh, people wear hats. Um, any, any, any thumbs up for the Yankees hat? Okay, yeah. Um, it is now official. A regular season home run has been hit in London, England. The first one, the first major league home run hit by a New York Yankee. Yep, that's right. Because the Boston Red Sox and the New York Yankees just had a series in London. So I don't know if any of you followed that at all. So anyways, that was big stuff. I guess Prince Harry was there and was a big deal. So hats have been worn for just fashion and allegiance to uh, a club or a team. In the same way, the high priest wore a hat really a turban, a hat, so to speak. I guess you could call it that. It's really a turban in the Hebrew language. In our text tonight, that's what he wore. It was a turban. And this headgear had a lot of significance for the high priest and for the nation of Israel. And it also speaks to us about the person of Christ and what he was about and really the brand of God the brand of God. And so we're going to take a look at this tonight. We're going to take a look and, and allow this to speak to our hearts uh, in, in so many ways. It speaks to us. It speaks to us in a lot of ways. And tonight, I'm going to ta- uh, break it down. Uh, I'm going to talk to you tonight about this. The headgear signifies allegiance. The headgear signifies allegiance. Let's pick it up in Exodus 28. Let's pick it up verse 
36. It says this, you shall also make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of a signet, holiness to the Lord. And you shall put it on a blue cord that it may be on the turban and it shall be on the front of the turban so it shall be on Aaron's forehead that Aaron may bear the iniquity of holy things which the children of Israel hallow in their holy gifts. And it shall always be on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. Headgear signifies allegiance. The turban was made with a fine linen cloth, a fine linen. And the turban literally means it's a, it means to be wound. It's a, it's a, if you see these Middle Eastern turbans, and there's different kinds, but it's literally like kind of a, a winding around the head. Uh, and from Hebrew sources, it is, was said to be about eight yards of material that were used and wound in such a way to create this particular turban. So the turban was a, wound, a, a simple wounding of this linen and became a headpiece. The turban made of, of linen, which symbolizes the righteousness of God. All throughout scripture, whenever you see, and we've discussed this already in the linen, in the tabernacle, in the tent structure, and in other parts of the, of the, uh, the tabernacle, now in the garmentry of the, the high priest, and all the way through, we see this idea of linen, this white, fine linen, and it signifies the righteousness of God. Now, the, also, the instructions here said that there would be a plate of gold, a plate of gold uh, that was engraved with the words holiness to the Lord. And, of course, when you look at that, if you look over there at Exodus, and, of course, it's holiness to the Lord, and it's really, it's holiness to Yahweh, right? This is the Lord's name. This is the covenant name of God. Uh, don't want to belabor the point, but God's name is not God, right? So if you say, you know, oh, God, you know, you haven't taken the Lord's name in vain because God's name isn't God. God's name is Yahweh. Taking the Lord's name in vain, the third commandment, has to do with representing the Lord. It's misrepresenting the Lord in an evil fashion. And so the name of the Lord is Yahweh, Yahweh. So this plate, this gold plate, was to be engraved with this wording, holiness to the Lord, holiness to Yahweh. So you have the righteousness of God in the linen, and you have this gold plate, the gold, of course, the divinity of, of God. And then this inscription talking about the holiness. So you have this hat, this turban, this headgear of the high priest. And, and what does it signify to us? It signifies to us two things, righteousness and holiness. Righteousness and holiness. And so in that sense, when the, the, the high priest wore this, 
And do and you notice that in the text we read, and Aaron should always wear this as he's ministering in the tabernacle. This was always to be worn. When he's wearing this, it's, it's representing the righteousness and holiness of God. And so the question tonight I have for you is this. The high priest, well, the, let me state this. The high priest in that sense wore the Lord's brand. If the Lord had a brand, what, what, was, what is he about? What is God about? You know, everybody wants to portray what they're about. You know, they've got their fashion, their logos, their things, their this and that and whatever. What's the Lord's brand? What's he about? Righteousness and holiness. Amen? Righteousness and holiness. Right, the righteousness of God and holiness to the Lord. People today wear a hat, a particular brand, maybe like Adidas or Nike or like that Louis Vuitton hat, and it is kind of portraying their either allegiance or maybe the brand that they like. I mean, I know people that, you know, will only wear like a certain brand of, of you know, workout clothes, you know. I mean, they got all their workout clothes, and like there's the Nike people, and then there's like the Adidas people, and then there's, you know, and then there's the people like you see they're confused. They got a, a Nike shirt and a Adidas hat and their shoes are Pumas and stuff. And they're just, you know, you, you, know, you know that person is just a person like they're looking for a deal. You know, they're looking for a deal and they just got, you know, oh, let me tell you, I got these shoes for 19 bucks and, you know, they were on special. But th these things, you know, they, 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 they demonstrate people's, they portray people's allegiance. And the high priest had to have an allegiance to the brand of the Lord. And that, that allegiance was to the, the righteousness of God, the holiness of God. And the high priest represented the righteousness and the holiness of Yahweh to the people. And just as he wore the turban and represented righteousness and holiness to the people, to Israel, we have a piece of headgear also that we're commanded to wear, right? Right? In, in the New Testament, there is this piece of headgear that we are commanded to wear. What is it? The helmet of salvation, right? The helmet of salvation. I'll read the scripture for you. You find it in Ephesians, in the epistle, chapter 6, verse 11. Well, first, first verse 11, the commandment, the, 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 the imperative, right? Paul says this. I'll have it on the screen for you. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So for the high priest, they were representing the brand of God. There was an allegiance to God. There was a representation of what God was about and administering that as in the ministry of the high priest, right? So that's what he was doing. And so then this passed to the Lord Jesus Christ in his office of the high priest when he performed his work. He did it, he did it absolutely righteous. He did it absolutely with perfect holiness, set-apartness, separateness. And that's what he then calls us to, amen? We're called to righteousness and we're called to holiness, that separateness unto the Lord. Now, first we receive that righteousness. We, we receive that righteousness as a gift of God, right? We, we don't have it. We're, we're sinners. We're, when we're sinners, we're literally profane. 
uh, we're, we, there's, 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 there's the idea of being righteous and profane, really. And so we were just sinners. We were apart from God. We were with the world. We, we, you know, Paul, you know, we've been going through Romans and it's just been, wow. I mean, the language that he uses to describe how we were outside of God, outside of our relationship with Christ is, is just, it's some heavy duty language that there was literally uh, a, 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 an animosity there. Um, and so, so, but God's, but, but God's called us. And he's given to us as the free gift of, of God and of salvation. He's given unto us his righteousness. This is, the, this is the incredible thing about salvation that we are given the righteousness of God and literally we become the righteousness of God. This, this, is, this is, is blow your mind type of stuff and let us never forget it as Christians. And, and then, we, then we are called unto his holiness, Right? And so, you know, so he is holy, he is apart, he is separated, and, and there's this idea of, have, of, of being separate, of being holy, of, of walking according to the righteousness of God, amen? And that's what we're called to as Christians. We don't work to receive the righteousness, we don't work to, to, to be holy in that sense. He makes us those things, but then as he makes us those things, in, his, in that work, that powerful work of sal- salvation, that transaction uh, that happens, that, that miracle that, that we talk about, then he calls us, right, to walk in those things, to walk in righteousness, to walk in holiness, to walk separate. So then Paul comes to this in, in Ephesians chapter 6. He's wrapping up the epistle, and he says, put on the, the whole armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The armor of God. And then we won't read the whole section there, but he's skipping down to verse 17 in Ephesians 6. He says this, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I included the whole verse just because that's the whole verse. But I wanted to just show you that section where he's talking about the armor of God and he goes through it. He talks about the breastplate of righteousness and, and the belt and all this. And then he says, and take the helmet of salvation. Take the helmet of salvation. Now, when, when people have looked at this particular passage in Ephesians, many people have just gone, you know, gone with a, the idea that, and, 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 I, and I don't disparage the idea. I, I can see the rationale in, in coming to that conclusion. But the idea is this, that what Paul, the imagery that Paul's thinking about as he's writing Ephesians 6 is he's thinking about that Roman soldier, right? He's thinking about that Roman soldier, the Roman soldier with it. And you can see, right? You know, you've watched enough um, movies from the time of Christ and the, the, the Roman, perhaps Julius Caesar or one of these type of movies. You've seen this stuff, right? So you've seen the, that breastplate and those, you know, the tails and the, the helmet with the little, you know, fur thing in the center, whatever that is. I don't know what that was to keep, to keep the uh, birds away or something. Yeah, probably, pro- probably the crows, right? Keep the crows away or something. I don't know. Um, and then, of course, the sword and all that. So, you know, that seems real, 
logical, that seems to make sense. But let me submit to you tonight that another idea, another idea to just to, to entertain this tonight, that Paul is literally talking about the imagery of the priesthood. That when he's talking to us about putting on the armor of God, that he's talking to us about the priesthood, the priest, and, and those priestly garments. I want to take you, okay, so here's the thing. Some serious scholars have suggested that this is really the picture in Ephesians 6 of the Old Testament priests that we see in Exodus and, and we see in other parts of Scripture. And what, what I'm going to take you to right now is Isaiah, specifically Isaiah 59. In Isaiah 59, we are told that God waited and waited for Israel, who had become disobedient, just disobedient. And you read, you read, you, you get past the Torah and you get past the Joshua, the conquest of the land. And, and once, once Israel gets in the land of, uh, you know, they possess the land of Canaan and they're there. Unfortunately, the rest of the story of Israel is about them like serving God and then going the other direction and God trying to, to call them back call them back from their waywardness, call them back from, from their idolatry. That's why he gave so many warnings about don't, of not getting involved uh, in, the, in certain practices and, and with certain people's groups and things because he wanted that righteousness and he wanted that holiness with them. And so you read through the prophets and, and, and perhaps it's one of the reasons why a lot of people don't like reading the prophets because it's a lot of, you know, oh, if you would come back to me and I would save you and, 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 and all this type of stuff. And so God, and, and let me just say this, it, it just demonstrates to me the heart of God. It demonstrates to me the love of God that he loves, that he loves us all. That he loves everyone so much that he is willing to call. I mean, a loving father that's willing to call and the call goes out. And the call goes out and out and out and out across the earth, and he's calling anyone who would come, come unto him. And wow, a loving father. So God's looking for Israel to come back. And he waited and waited for a man to lead them back to him, or an intercessor, a man who would lead them back, or at least stand in the gap and intercede on behalf of the people. And none arose. So the Lord did it himself. If a man or an intercessor would have stepped forth, it would have saved Israel a lot of calamity. But the fact that no man or no intercessor stepped forward didn't derail God's plan. He waited to work in partnership through a man. He waited to work through an intercessor, but God's work would still go forth if none arose. How? Let's pick it up. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 16. I'll have it up on the screen for you. It says, he saw that there was no man. There was not this man that he was looking for and wonder that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him and his own righteousness, it sustained him. Verse 17, next slide. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation of his head and he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. So 
Perhaps most people don't pick up the connection and they make the connection of the armor of God being that of the imagery of the Roman soldier. And let me submit to you the, the imagery of the priesthood, of the priest. And so Paul's comments on our spiritual armor can be taken to be about the, the garmentry of the, of the priesthood. So we need, to, we, need to, we need to go back to that Ephesians 6 and where Paul's saying, put on the whole armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God. He goes into this whole section where he's talking about us standing for Christ and, 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 and there's a battle going on. He says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but literally against principalities and powers and, and these hierarchies of spiritual forces in the unseen realm. That's what he's talking about there. That's the language that he's talking about in that verse. And so there's a real spiritual battle that's going on that, that we're in. And we have to recognize that we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but we're literally wrestling in the spirit that we're doing. It's spiritual warfare to be a Christian. Amen. It's literally spiritual warfare. When you came into the kingdom of God, at least for the time being, you've come into the battlefront. You've come into a battlefield and, and, and literally welcome to the war. Welcome to the war because it is, a war, it is a warfare. It is a spiritual warfare. And so we need to put on the armor of God. We need to put on the armor of God and we really need to put on that garmentry of the priesthood, amen? Because that's what's gonna, that's what's gonna do the trick. That's what's gonna be the thing that's gonna, that's gonna come to our rescue. So the question is this, how do we fight the battles in this, these spiritual battles? How do we fight on this spiritual battlefront that we're in? Okay, so we're waking up every day and we're doing regular physical things, right? We're waking up in the morning and we're getting, you know, I mean, Mary Jo wakes up, I wake up, I look over at her, she says, it's coffee time, right? And, uh, you know, yeah, so we, so we wake up and we get coffee, but then we go get coffee so we can read the Bible and, and all that. But we're doing very, very uh, regular things, making coffee, you know, making breakfast, getting ready, get, getting out the door, going and doing places, working. So we're doing all these physical things. But as we're going through this life in the physical, we're, in, we're spiritual people. We've been brought alive. We've been made alive in Christ, in the spirit. We've been born from above. We've been born again. And so we are in a battle. And so in order to walk this walk for Christ, in order to stand in the time of the onslaught of the enemy, and, and folks, we're living in it right now, like never before, we're living in, I don't know if this is like, if we're right up at the, at the very end, <laughs> but I think it's a good thing to consider that, 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 that we're right there, that, that, uh, that God is, is, is working in all these things. And we'll talk about that just a little bit more in, in a second. But back to this armor of God. How do we fight the battles? We put on the armor. We put on the armor. The armor of God is the garment of the priest. Now, even the rank and file priest wore a, a turban. So the, the, the high priest had his turban, 
But then all the rest of the priests that worked with the high priest, they also had a turban, a white linen turban as well. And so we need to put on the armor of God. And I'm not going to do, I'm not going to go into all the different things that, that, that you look in there at the armor of God, the breastplate of righteousness and, and, and all of it, but you could do that. But I, I just want to focus on this head, this helmet, this headgear tonight, because that's what we're talking about. We're talking about this headgear, this righteous headgear. So we've got to put on the helmet of salvation, folks. We've got to put it on every day. We've got to put on all that armor, the breastplate of righteousness, and, 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 and all of it, but the helmet of salvation, so important. Why? Because we need that helmet of salvation on our head. A lot of the battles that we face are battles in the head, battles in the mind, battles in perhaps the brain, if you want to say it that way, but really the mind in our thinking. And, and so we need the helmet of salvation. Where are the battles mostly mental? The battle is in the mind. So we need, so there's an idea that the turban, can you imagine having your head wrapped in white linen? We're just gonna bring you on up here and we're just gonna wrap your head in eight yards of white linen. Would that be a reminder for you to think about the righteousness of God? If, you were, if you're literally walking around with this white linen, would that, you know, what, what am I thinking about? What am I thinking about today? Well, I got this, you know, 10 pounds of white linen on my head. I, 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 so I need to be thinking about the righteousness of God. I need to be thinking about the righteousness of God. And so the helmet of salvation helps us think about the salvation that we have, thinks about, th helps us think about the righteousness that we've received, and then therefore helping us think about the righteousness that God wants us to walk in. And so we, we need that helmet of salvation. It's the helmet of salvation, it's on our head, it's over our brain. In order to win, you've got to win the battles by putting on the helmet of salvation. Now, putting on the helmet of salvation will help you in a couple key areas every day. Number one, if you're taking notes, and I see a couple people, think of, it will help you to think about and dwell on daily that you've been saved and that you have salvation. What have you got on your head? You got the helmet of salvation. You've got the righteousness of God. You've got the righteousness of God. You've received the righteousness of God. You've been saved. You've called on the Lord. You're God's. You're God's son. You're God's daughter. You're a child of the king. You are separated out in this world. Not only do you have the righteousness, but you've been made holy, which means you've been separated out. You're in the world, but not of the world. Amen? He said, I didn't take you in, but I don't want you of the world. I want you in the world, but not of the world. And that helmet of salvation is going to help us to keep our, our thinking straight and, and win those battles in the mind. And it starts with realizing that we have received the righteousness and holiness of God. And then number two, it will help us win the battle in our minds spiritually by taking hostile 
by taking hostile thoughts as prisoners of war. Let me say that again. We will win the battle in our minds spiritually by taking hostile thoughts as prisoners of war. You say, what? It's exactly what the Apostle Paul told the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. You'll see it up on the screen behind me. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into where? Into captivity to the, to the obedience of Christ. So, so we have to bring things, we have to bring things into some captivity, into some custody. We have to take some prisoners of war that we're in, and the prisoners of this war that we need to take are these thoughts. We need to take them captive. And we need to take them captive to the obedience of Christ. To the obedience of Christ. Because it's in that moment, in that thought process that we're having, right? You know that you you, you know. Where, where, where it is, and the, the battle is waging, and it's in the mind, and it's like, what should I do? And it's in that moment that we've got, you've got to take that thought cap, captive. You've got to lean upon the righteousness and holiness of Christ. You've got to lean upon the wisdom of God. You've got to lean upon the word of God to, to light your path, to direct your paths and your steps, and, and you've got to take that thought captive. You've got to take those thoughts as prisoners of war. Amen? And, uh, and, and so this is very important. So keeping your mind on the fact that you've been saved, it's the helmet of salvation. Because it's the helmet of salvation, it represents the righteousness of God and the holiness of God that you've received and that you've been invited to walk in, commanded to walk in. And then it's a reminder that the battle, that there's a battle in the mind and we've got to take, we've got to take charge over our mind. There's much to be said about this. And in fact, there's probably much more that we need to say about this that we're saying right now in the church today because of what I'm seeing going on out there in the world. And sin is first conceived of in the mind, in the brain, you know, in the, you know, the, that thought process. And, and, and the, 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 the thought and the desire Conceive the sin. And this is, this is what the Bible teaches us, right? So we've got to somehow get a hold of this process. We've got to get a hold of this whole thing. And I think that the reminder is this righteous headgear. <laughs> See yourself as having this righteous headgear. Amen? Um, man, if you walked out, walked out of the house every day with a with a hat on that says holiness to the Lord. <laughs> Can you imagine? You're at Publix and you're shopping and you're whatever and you're just like, and then people are looking, holiness to the Lord. That'd be, I should, we should get one made up. We could go up to like the hat store and get one, get one just embroidered, you know? Holiness to Yahweh, you know? People would wonder what in the world. So I wanna end this teaching on this to kind of bring us not really full circle, but like to the end. So we see as God commands this turban to be built, this constructed for the, for the high priest, the eight yards of white linen and this 
this gold plate, holiness to the Lord, the righteousness and holiness of God. And then, you know, of course, that representing that to the people and representing the character of God. And then, of course, Christ perfectly demonstrating and representing that and bridging the gap, being that perfect sacrifice so that we could receive those things from God and then giving us that command to, to live for him. Um, I don't think anybody, I, don't, I, I, I doubt anybody will run out to the, to the hat store. What are those hats places called in the mall? Lids? Lids. You can go to Lids. You can get whatever you want on your hat. You put whatever you want on your hat. But I, I'm, I'm doubting very seriously that anyone's going to run out and go get like a, a white hat at Lids and get like, you know, I don't know, like in gold lettering holiness to the Lord. And like every day you put this hat on and walk out and I just in the battle of the Lord, right? <laughs> I am living for Jesus and I'm going to do it, right? No, but I do want you to see this. I do want you to see this that you do have a seal, that you are, you do have that seal of God up on your head, literally. And this is what's gonna happen. When we get to the end, and again, I don't know how close or far we are. There's some things that are developing technologically that would lead me to believe that this could be the very, very time of the end. We're on the verge of the next wave of, of, of technology that is, is, is already here. It's not totally mainstream yet, but you've heard of it. And this idea of where we see cryptocurrencies, okay? When, when you get into the technology of cryptocurrencies, now right now it's like everything, right? I mean, I remember when debit cards became a thing mm -hmm. and my mom would not get a debit card. And I remember we were somewhere and I was like, you just get money from the ATM. Oh, I don't have a debit card. I'm like, you don't have a debit card, what? Everyone has a debit card. Well, she has one now, right, okay? So I'm, I'm using that as an illustration to say even people that are like late adopters to stuff, to technologies and things, and just kind of resistant, you know? I mean, there's people that don't have cell phones, believe it or not. I don't know who they are, whatever. There's people that don't have smartphones. They have dumb phones, right? They still have those flip phones or those, you know, by the minute, you know, phones and stuff. But what, what we're looking at right now, technologically, is the advent of, it's kind of a new technology, really. And it is this idea of, of crypto, the cryptocurrency, but it's really not only about the currency. I was reading a book uh, recently, um, really, really smart guy, uh, George Gilder, you can look him up. The book is called The End of Google. Um, so anyways, and it's the advent of the cryptocosm. And what he's saying is the next wave of technology is the, the, the world embracing uh, what he calls the cryptocosm. And it's going to come in by virtue of the cryptocurrencies. Okay? So you already see a lot of people getting involved in cryptocurrencies. 
you're, you're familiar with Bitcoin, right? Okay, so Bitcoin came onto the scene. It went to like $20,000 a coin. And then it crashed a little over a year ago. And now it's actually heading back up. And people are now kind of speculating that this is... And so now this next wave of like, oh, you know, Bitcoin's going to go to 20,000 again. And, and when it hits 20, it's, you know, it's going to go to 100 and all this, right? Okay, so what's, what's going to happen? We're in the early stages. What's going to happen is eventually, I don't know, 10 years, 15 years, cryptocurrency is going to be like, you know, you, you may have one. Even if you're like, you know, resistant to that, the, the, it's going to be presented in such a way, right? Like all this stuff is, it's going to be a big presentation by somebody in jeans and a black shirt, like in San Francisco, you know, and they're going to tell you, okay, here, here's, here's, how, here's how close we are, okay, I want to tell you. Facebook is getting ready to roll out a cryptocurrency called Libra. Have you, anybody seen this? Raise your hand. You guys paying attention to what's going on out there? <laughs> okay, so Facebook, the worldwide social network that has, it claims, I don't know, 2.5 billion users, is getting ready to come out with a cryptocurrency. And when Facebook does this, this is going to begin to mainstream the cryptocurrency and this, the crypto the crypto the cryptocosm, okay? The reason why, okay, Charles, get to the point. When we go to the cryptocosm, it's going to be very easy for people, for a system to come on at some point that would control your ability to have access to your funds that are in the, in the cryptocurrencies, okay? So right now you have an app on your phone that you can download called Coinbase, right? And you can go on Coinbase and you can look at all the cryptocurrencies to see what they're going for right now. This is just the early stages, okay? When we get further down the road, we're going to be deeper and deeper and deeper into this. The times of the end are very clear from Scripture about what's going to happen. You're familiar with the mark of the beast, right? The mark of the beast the beast system that comes along in the world that wants to control, to have a centralized control over everything. I don't want to get too political tonight, but I will say this, that any political movement that is about bringing centralized control globally, okay, when you say globally, okay, that's not biblically, okay, the only thing that's going to be brought together globally is submission under Christ, okay? But what they're going to do is they're going to bring together, they're going to try to do, see, the Antichrist is only going to mimic what Christ is doing. Christ, the goal of Christ's mission, read, read Philippians 2, right? Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. He's going to bring all things under the submission of Christ, Okay? So this is a little who is Jesus and kind of prophecy update tonight, okay? So this is, this is like, when you look at what's happening, it's very interesting to see this. And when you get into the times of the end, you have this, this centralized control that's brought about in some way. 
And you're familiar with the verse of scripture. I want to throw it up on the screen for you. It's Revelation chapter 13, verse 16. And it's, 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 it's about the, the, the Antichrist, right? The, 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 the person, this leader of the beast system at the, at, at the end times. Now, now, when you say beast, okay, people go, oh, it's just this big mythical thing, okay? So change the terminology so you can understand that this is, this is what's beginning to happen, right? This is what's happening. When you go over to Europe and you look at the, uh, the parliament building in the EU, they basically designed it to look like the Tower of Babel and they have a woman out, they have a statue of a woman out there riding the beast. Okay, look at it, look, look it up. This, look, look all this up on Google when you get home, okay? Look at the, the parliament of the EU in, 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 in Brussels, okay? So this is what it says. He causes all both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. So this is somehow all done, and wow, people have been speculating about this verse for 2,000 years, right? How is this all going to happen? How is this type of control, this level of control? Well, it's, it's, it's actually very easy to see how that level of control is going. I mean, they're, 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 they're listening to us right now. Just say Louis Vuitton into your phone. And on the way home, open up Facebook and you'll have Louis Vuitton ads or whatever. Just name a product. We were talking about a friend. We the boys and I were talking about what, a, a friend, Levi. And then the next thing I know, I had like Levi's ads on, 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 on all my feeds, okay? So this level of control is, yes, we may be in the early, early stages of it, but this level of control is, you, you can see where this, this is possible. But I wanna, I wanna give you some encouragement tonight. Even though this is, the time of the, this is the, the, what is said to be about the time of the end, the, the Antichrist and this level of control and, and, and no one able to buy or sell if, if they haven't received the mark of the beast the, the, in their hand, their forehead, the mark, of, the mark of his name, the mark, the name of the beast or the name, the, the number of his name. So you could literally have the number and be in the system and not know that you have the name, right? So this is going to be all done in a very deceptive way. This isn't going to be like, oh, come get the mark of the beast, <laughs> you know? It's going to be done in a very hip and cool way. It's going to be like very like, this is, yes, we need to do this. We need to do this, Right? But we need to be encouraged because if you're here tonight and you're saved, you got the helmet of salvation on, you're in the kingdom, you need to be encouraged because you already have a marking. You have the mark of God upon you, right? You're sealed with the Holy Spirit. You have the mark of God, the mark of the Lamb. I want to read to you a few more scriptures in Revelation, but going back to chapter 7. 
In Revelation 7, it says this, And after these things I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth and holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. And then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees until we have sealed the servants of God, of our God, on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Now, oh, wow, I just opened up kind of a can of worms, didn't I? The 144,000. Whenever you see these numbers, there's a thousand is a way of saying like many, like almost like uncountable. And so that when you have 12 and a thousand, that's kind of like 12 is representing the number of the tribes. And so you have 12,000. So then you have 12,000 from each tribe. That's where you have the number 144,000. The Jehovah's Witnesses took this as their, one of their central passages and said, you know, be a part of the 144,000 until they had more than 144,000 professing JWs. And then they had to kind of like, you know, skirt away from that particular doctrine so that they could, oh, well, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's about the whole allotment of, there's not numbers in scripture that, rep, that when they're representing people are generally, they're very specific in, in who they're representing. It's very clear. If it's, if it's a broader number, they're generally representing a group of people. There's the, the 24 elders surrounding the throne in Revelation 4. Those are the 24 uh, ministry, the, the, the 24 groups of the, of the tribes of Levi and their ministry cycles, right? So the 24 elders kind of signifies the whole lot of the, the, the priesthood, right? So you're using the number 24 that represents this whole group of the priesthood. So you have this 144,000 that is representing all those who have been called unto God and are part of the, uh, part of the children of God. And what this passage is about is all those who were apart with God are sealed on their heads. You have the mark of God. And so you may not go out tomorrow with a headgear of the, you know, a turban or some type of a white hat with holiness to, to Yahweh. But I want to encourage you tonight that you have that marking. You have that headgear in that sense. And so I want to encourage us all tonight to, to, to wear that righteous headgear, to realize that seal that we have upon our lives and to go out and for, for the time that we have, that we're alive here right now, that God has given us and, 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 and we look at life as very precious. And I wanna encourage us to look at that and the, and the, the connections and the, and the things that we do and say are, are, can be very meaningful and influential in the lives of people. We don't know who the Lord our God is going to call, but God wants to use you. God wants to use you to, to be an encouragement, a blessing to others, to speak forth the word of God, to be an example of him in this time and for just the church of God, amen?
because it's getting, it's getting wild in the sense that, um, you know, to be honest with you, I'm kind of wondering how far it's going to go. And every time I wonder that, it goes further. And we have people in the church that are just basically, we're right around the corner from literally everything that you could call a sin that will somehow be justified as not being a sin. Now, I, I'm just, as sure as I'm standing on the stage right now, just mark it down, this is going to be. It's not just these sins that were so, oh my goodness, that's a sin. No, it's not a sin. But everything is going to be, we're living literally in the days where good is evil, good is called evil and evil good. And you think it's gonna stop at, you know, there's going to be like, oh, well, this thing, this thing that's wrong, we're going to call that good. And then and once we win that, once the, once the world says they've won that battle, then okay, well, it's, it's, it's all over. No, no, no. It's going all the way. <laughs> it's going all the way. And it's all the more reason for us to realize tonight who we are in Christ, who he is, what he's called us to, the kingdom of God, that we've been sealed in our foreheads and in our spirits, by the Holy Spirit, and that we've call, been called unto righteousness and holiness to live for him. The battles in the mind take every thought as a prisoner of war and live for, for Jesus. Amen? Amen? Putting upon your head that righteous headgear in Jesus' name.